The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Welcome to the Kotke Ride Home for Thursday, June 3rd, 2021. I'm Jackson Bird. What if your pickup truck could power your whole neighborhood? That's the potential people are imagining with the new Ford F-150 Lightning. The science behind why unique people are more attractive and updates from the annual State of NASA address, including the latest planet they'll be returning to. Here are some of the cool things from the news today. Everyone has been talking about Ford's new electric truck, the F-150 Lightning, and how game-changing it is for electric vehicles. And they're not wrong. First, the F-150 is just straight up a popular truck. Ford's F-Series has been the best-selling vehicle in the United States for 40 years. Curbed notes that Ford sells a million F-150s every year now, the first vehicle to hit that milestone since the Chevy Impala in the 1960s. 8% of the U.S. workforce uses a Ford F-Series truck every day, and Ford's trucks and vans curbed notes make up 40% of the U.S.'s commercial vehicles. So it matters that there's now an electric version of the F-150. And apart from being the best-selling truck in the country, the personality that has long solidified around the F-150 is not usually one that you would pair with an interest in electric vehicles, which means that if Ford gets this right, they have the potential to convert a huge swath of people to EVs, which is crucial if we want a hope in hell of hitting our climate goals. And so far, it seems like Ford really did get it right with the F-150 Lightning. There have already been over 70,000 pre-orders on it, and Curbed notes, quote, If Ford ends up shipping all those pre-orders, they would equal one-fourth of the total number of all EVs sold last year. So the F-150 Lightning is much more than just an electric version of a very popular car. It's the first viable electric vehicle for a huge number of Americans. End quote. And it's viable because it's substantially cheaper than other electric trucks on the market, closer in price to the regular version of the F-150 than to the next cheapest electric truck. And like its gas-powered siblings, the Lightning focuses on features that are useful for people living in rural areas and or employing the truck as a part of their work. And that's where we get to its next game-changing element. Its 1,800-pound battery is not just strong enough to go at least 300 miles, but also to take on other emergency roles, like powering your house if the power goes out, something I brought up back in February when stories broke of people with electric vehicles, including the F-150 King Ranch Hybrid, using them to keep the heat and power on in their homes during that horrible storm in Texas. But Alyssa Walker, writing in Curb, notes that the potential here goes way beyond emergency power. 
Quote, Ford has announced a partnership with industry leader Sunrun to provide an inverter, plus the option to install solar panels, allowing energy stored locally to flow back and forth from the car to the home. But the possibilities become broader for the F-150 with the installation of a bi-directional charger that allows energy to flow between the car and the home and also back onto the grid, what's known as vehicle-to-grid or V2G integration, end quote. Basically, when you get an excess of energy, like from large amounts of wind or sun, we want to store that energy in some sort of battery so it can be used up when there isn't enough energy available, for example, on less windy days. But we need big batteries to accomplish that, and the proposal from many experts is to use the F-150 Lightning's battery as excess energy storage, and not just for individuals, but by plugging them into the grid. One example that's been proposed in California, where the state utility company PG&E often has scheduled blackouts as a preventative measure during wildfire season, is, quote, Supplying V2G technology to a cohort of homeowners whose local batteries can be used as a distributed energy resource to balance the grid in emergencies, but also ensures that the entire community will have access to power in case of an outage, plus a way to evacuate, end quote. And it may sound strange if you're hearing about it for the first time, but V2G technology is already being used in European countries, and there are a lot of creative applications. Danielle J. Harris, the Managing Director of Engagement and Innovation at Elemental Accelerator, told Curbed of a program California is testing for electric school buses. Basically, Harris pointed out that one of the challenges is finding a vehicle big enough to hold the huge battery, but which is also dormant during high solar times. Enter school buses. They often sit as fleets in parking lots during the sunniest hours of the day. Now, with solar roofs, the fleet of buses can become a storage farm. Electric vehicles being used as storage batteries could also become part of a community disaster plan. Mobility strategist and farmer Chrissy Dittmore points out how a community could collectively own one or more electric trucks that are available for use by the community when needed for practical one-off purposes like moving, and then additionally stored at the community center, storing up energy in its battery, and if some type of power outage happens, it's then able to power the center where people can gather to access heat or air conditioning depending on the disaster situation. There are so many applications, and it's just exciting to see electric vehicles moving in this direction. But Alyssa Walker at Curbed emphasizes what others are too. Quote, Just because the F-150's energy storing capabilities are critical to decarbonizing the grid doesn't mean every American should buy one just to keep it charged up in the garage. Manufacturing any new truck consumes a huge amount of energy, only some of which is recovered at the end of its lifespan. End quote. Just because they're not as bad as gas-powered vehicles doesn't mean we should all get one. We should continue investing in alternative solutions that result in fewer cars driving fewer miles. It's an emissions thing, yes, but also about a concern for batteries. As Madeline Stone writes in National Geographic, quote, The F-150 Lightning, along with the hundreds of other EV models top automakers are rolling out in the next few years, signals that the EV revolution is finally going mainstream. But as this industry, which is key to combating climate change, matures, a new challenge is emerging. How to acquire all of the minerals needed to make EV batteries. The lithium, nickel, cobalt, and copper inside those batteries were all, at one point, mined from the Earth. 
And today, much of that mining is concentrated in places like Russia, Indonesia, and the Democratic Republic of Congo, places where environmental oversight is often poor, labor standards often lax, and the mining industry has a history of fueling conflicts with local communities. With the number of EVs on the roads expected to rise from 10 million in 2020 to upwards of 145 million by 2030, demand for battery minerals is poised to surge, and some industry watchdogs warn that the clean transit boom could fuel a dirty mining boom, end quote. Now, there are ways to potentially mitigate that, improving how we recycle EV batteries so that their raw materials can be reused and enact policies that ensure they're being recycled properly will mean less that has to be mined. But it will take focused effort and investment to make sure that happens. For now, Curbed echoes a popular sentiment that the focus on EVs should continue to be on larger vehicles, which are used for labor, not leisure, and which emit more pollutants. So there's a lot of moving parts here, but so much potential, and I can't help but feeling like the Ford F-150 Lightning has really marked a turning point in the electric vehicle movement. At FanDuel Casino, we know the only thing better than a win is a free win. That's why we made Reward Machine, the daily free-to-play game that gives you a chance to win up to $2,000 in casino bonus. We've given away over $50 million in free bonuses, and we're just getting started. Every day at 6 p.m., you get three chances to spin the Reward Machine reels. There are three ways to win. One, match any three symbols for an instant win. Two, collect symbols each day for a chance to win weekly prizes. Or three, win up to $2,000 if you collect three trophies, FanDuel has given away over $50 million to hundreds of thousands of people through Reward Machine. So what are you waiting for? Download the FanDuel Casino app by going to FanDuel.com slash PA3 and start playing Reward Machine today. That's FanDuel.com slash PA3. No purchase necessary. 21 plus and present in PA. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable casino only site credit that expires seven days after receipt. Restrictions apply. See full terms at FanDuel.com slash casino. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com slash RG. Well, this is good news for me, and I bet some of you listening, the BBC says that unique and non-conformist people are more attractive. BBC Future's Modern Love column set out to learn whether there was one ideal trait, one universal standard of beauty that humans select for and which has therefore become dominant over time. But the problem they quickly encountered is that even if a certain trait seems to be near universally desirable, for example, some researchers have looked back over time from 500 BCE to now and been able to identify the hourglass shape as an idealized figure for women, the fact that not every human has those traits seems to work against the selection argument. So if not that, then what gives? Jean Bouvet, an evolutionary biologist at Northumbria University who conducted one of the studies on women's waist-to-hip ratios throughout history, told the BBC, quote, that this preference arose simply because wider hips and a narrow waist communicate that a woman is of a reproductive age, but not old, and that she has given birth a fewer number of times. One thing that seems to really hold is that traits that are attractive in women are often cues of age and also parity, the number of times she has given birth, says Beauvais. They are really closely related to attractiveness, end quote. So, attractive traits, at least like that one, are not linked to genes, and therefore not a form of sexual selection, and thus why we don't all look the same, like some animals. 
And this was backed up by a 2014 study led by psychologists at the University of Queensland that had straight men and women rate computer-generated body shapes of the opposite gender, with each body varying slightly in 24 different areas, like hip ratio, height, shoulder width, etc. Quoting the BBC, For men choosing women, body mass was the first priority, with men choosing smaller women. It took a long time, though, for traits we commonly think of as important, like breast size, to matter at all. And likewise, waist-to-hip ratio was only really a later concern. The female avatars in the final generation chosen by men were still quite diverse, each man in the study having shown a slightly different preference. For women choosing men, however, there seemed to be more consistency. They all preferred a swimmer's body shape, tall with broad shoulders, and an athletic build. So although there are general trends that are consistent for most people, how much each matters varies from person to person, says researcher Barnaby Dixon, end quote. And this is in contrast to some other creatures in the animal kingdom, like the fiddler crab. Female fiddler crabs are only attracted to males based on the length of their large fighting claw. If a male fiddler crab loses his claw in a fight, it can grow back to the same size, but it will lack the mass that it had before, something that would really help out in a fight. But the females can't tell that, and are still only attracted to the length of the claw, even if a male fiddler crab with a less heavy claw than who lost one already probably isn't actually a good fighter. We humans, however, are more complex. We aren't attracted to people on the basis of just one trait. It's a confluence of different traits, and it varies a little bit from person to person, even if certain traits do get outsized attention in media and public discourse. And this is where we start getting into the attractiveness of nonconformists. A study of conformity published last year in the Proceedings of National Academy of Sciences showed some people's tendency to, quote, conform when something was reasonably popular, but become an anti-conformist if it became too popular, end quote. Stanford PhD student Kalita Krebs-Denton, who led the study, explained one reason for this, quote, if we're talking about biological advantages, then anti-conformity is expected to be advantageous when the variant that produces the greatest fitness benefit is rare. And continuing from the BBC, perhaps in a new environment or an environment that has dramatically changed, only a small number of individuals will have the best trait, end quote. And Dixon adds, quote, natural selection favors diversity. At its core, it requires the ability to adjust and adapt to new environments as they're presented to you, end quote. And going back to that fiddler crab example, Dixon points out how easy it is to be dishonest when there's a reliance on just one trait. Those male fiddler crabs with regrown claws are acting like they're just the same as their old ones when they're actually much less powerful. But when novelty is valued, being dishonest is more difficult. So going back to the hip-waist ratio or hourglass figure for women, even though Beauvais was able to see a pretty steady idealization of that body type for centuries, that started changing in the 1500s when the ratio jumped and the difference between hips and waist size started becoming more and more extreme into the 19th century. You know, think about the growing popularity of corsets in some parts of the world. For a large part of the 20th century, it reverted back to a smaller ratio, and in recent years is kind of flipping back again. And this is all highly generalized to specific Western cultures. Of course, the study largely used artwork to track these trends, and it's also kind of gross that we can describe different types of women's bodies going in and out of fashion. 
But the point is that even traits that have been documented as being favored for particular reasons, in this case a narrower waist showed a woman was maybe younger and maybe hadn't had children yet, or in another case think of facial hair and square jaws on men being attractive because they signal high testosterone levels, even despite that, those traits are not always the most popular. The BBC points to a 2014 study in which after women were shown lots of photos of bearded men, they found clean-shaven ones more attractive. And importantly here, the opposite happened after seeing lots of photos of clean-shaven men. It's just refreshing to see something new and unique. Denton said, quote, If we consider advantages as cultural, then anti-conformity might be advantageous in areas such as music, literature, fashion, or visual art. Here, it's not necessary that a rare variant is better in any way. Rather, the uniqueness itself may be intrinsically valued. End quote. Culturally, you can think of tons of things that we cycle through faster and faster these days because we're so oversaturated with certain things that we get sick of them and move on to something else more quickly. So being just the same as everyone else probably isn't an advantage if you're trying to attract a mate. And I'll leave you with this last example from the BBC. Quote, Take the colorful male guppy. Their long, bright fins appeal to female guppies, each of whom has her own particular color and pattern preference. As such, there's no one ideal male guppy. It also means that averageness is not an advantage. It's better to be a unique guppy and hope you are just right for someone. End quote. Yesterday, NASA held their annual State of NASA, in which NASA Administrator Bill Nelson outlined their plans for the coming years. Among the announcements were plans for two robotic missions to explore Venus. They will be called Veritas and Da Vinci Plus. Rumor has it Leonardo is currently suing, as that's what he was going to call his new streaming service. Veritas and Da Vinci Plus will mark the first time the U.S. has led a mission to, as The Verge describes it, cosmic hell since 1990, and into the atmosphere of Venus since 1976, although the European Space Agency sent an orbiter there in 2005, and Japan's space agency currently has a spacecraft in orbit. The twin missions to Venus beat out other projects that were proposed in the budget that would have led to research on Io, one of Jupiter's moons, and Trident, one of Neptune's moons. Quoting NPR, Venus has been called Earth's evil twin because it's about the same size as Earth and probably was created out of similar stuff. It might have even at one time had oceans of liquid water. But Venus appears to have suffered a runaway greenhouse effect. Temperatures at its surface now exceed 800 degrees Fahrenheit and its atmosphere is toxic to humans. End quote. Veritas, which stands for Venus Emissivity Radio Science Insar Topography and Spectroscopy, will launch in 2028 and is an improvement on the 1990 Magellan probe. It'll take topographic measurements a hundred times better than Magellan did and create a detailed 3D map. Suzanne Smekar, a geophysicist at NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory, told the New York Times, quote, If the San Andreas Fault was present on Venus, you'd have no idea from Magellan data. We only have just like a very crude topographic map, end quote. 
So Veritas will be a massive improvement over that. DaVinci Plus, meanwhile, will launch the following year with the goal of conclusively confirming the presence of phosphine, which would, quoting the New York Times, lead to a spirited debate about whether the phosphine was definitive proof of life or whether some geological or chemical reactions not involving biology could have generated it. End quote. In addition to the two Venus missions, NASA also announced a new Earth System Observatory to, quoting NASA, provide key information to guide efforts related to climate change, disaster mitigation, fighting forest fires, and improving real-time agricultural processes. With the Earth System Observatory, each satellite will be uniquely designed to complement the others, working in tandem to create a 3D holistic view of Earth from bedrock to atmosphere. End quote. And NASA Administrator Nelson also reconfirmed plans to send humans, including the first woman and first person of color, to the moon as part of the Artemis program in 2024. So lots of cool stuff coming down the pipeline, lots to look forward to in the coming decade here on Earth and beyond. That's all I got for you today. As always, this show was produced by Ride Home Media and Kotke.org. I am Jackson Bird, and I will talk to you again tomorrow.